Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. That is the Father's desire, and that's the Father's will. You see it taught by Jesus. Jesus says, I do nothing that I don't see the Father do. I do nothing without the Father's leading and instruction. And then Jesus even went on to say that the Holy Spirit's gonna come, and the Holy Spirit does nothing of his own, but he does everything initiated by the Father. So the Father is orchestrating it all. And what God wants from us, he first gives us. Most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So God wants us to give him love, he first gives us love. It says before we even loved him, he loved us. So what God wants from us, he's going to aggress to us first and give us. And the most precious gift is the gift of choice. God gives us the gift of choice and gives us the empowerment. He says, here's life and here's death, but choose life. And that's a wonderful empowerment. But here's the sin problem. In Romans chapter five, verse 12, we read, when Adam's sin, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of the one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. None of us chose to be born into sin, did we? We're automatically born with the sin nature and the nature of death. I guarantee you, if all of us were in that line, we would say, no thank you, I'm gonna opt out on this one. We were forced into this scenario. We were made slaves. We were born into a bondage which we could never free ourselves. But we have a choice to be born again. See, God's gracious gift is greater and he gives us a choice to be born again because that's God's plan from the beginning. He wants us to choose him. God could have easily made us to where we just are all the time fond of him, walking in his fullness, like that. We all would be robots. But God wanted to be chosen. He wanted to be valued. He wanted us to see our tremendous worth and adoration that he has for us and have that for him. So here's what God planned. From Adam until Moses, people sinned, but they didn't know it. So what he gave was the law. And the law was good, but it exposed sin for what it really was. It was really death. So when the law was given, it says, here's what's right, here's what's wrong. If you do what's right, you're gonna be blessed. If you do what's wrong, you're gonna have death and you're gonna have dysfunction and it's gonna be unhealthy. But it exposed sin for what it was, but it made sin able to seize the opportunity and it made death able to spread. It's kinda like the speed limit, right? I like to drive very fast. If there was no speed limit signs, I would just, I would put the pedal to the metal and would go as fast as possible. But now all of a sudden there's a speed limit sign which tells me what I'm doing is bad. So I slow down 
and I obey the speed limit. So that's why God gave the law. But here's what Satan and the enemy did not understand. See, he was strengthened and he gave birth to the religious spirit through the law and the whole idea of performance-based Christianity. But he did not see the trick that God had up his sleeve to trap death and to trap sin in Jesus. So what happens is even the enemy serves the purposes of God and he hates that about himself. Now I'm not saying that everything that happens in your life that's bad is from God. I'm just saying that there's an enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. But even his feeble attempts to put you under, God can make all things work together for good. And it reminds me three weeks ago when Pastor Bernie did the first message on faith, I had a warfare headache that came on me in the, about four o'clock in the afternoon. And it was a deliberate attack of the enemy. And I knew there was something special that was gonna happen that night. And the first thing I'm thinking is, you know, I go to, um, I, I pastor our, our Res Life Singles um, Ministry. So I go to our committee meeting and that committee meeting was one of the best ones we've ever had. There was just ideas flowing. There was just continuity there. So that was great. So I'm thinking, oh, maybe I had this warfare headache to keep me from experiencing that. And then I come to church and, you know, we had some great worship, you know, we had some great prayer time. Uh, Pastor's, Pastor Bernie's message was great. And I'm like, oh, maybe Satan was trying to keep me from seeing how glorious that was gonna be. So right after service, I'm sitting down front here. The first thing I do when service is over, I've got such a penetrating headache that I go in the bathroom and I vomit. Okay, so hang with me here. So I go in the bathroom and I vomit, but I, I pull myself together and I come back out here and I meet my dear friends, uh, Brandon and Emily. So Emily tells me, I can't leave. Um, I've got to pray with them because they had a situation that happened during the day. And so their son had been to the doctor and the doctor had said that he only had one testicle. So they were concerned. I was concerned. You, you can bet your bottom dollar the little boy was concerned. So it clicked. This is it. This is what Satan did not want me to see. So I prayed with them, we, we, anointed, we anointed Landon with oil and he was just so happy to have prayer, just reminded him that he was a, a prince in God's kingdom. And I got a text from, uh, from Brandon later that night that said, you know, Landon came downstairs laughing, talking about how good God was and his other testicle was there. They felt it and there it is. Now, could God have easily revealed that to me earlier in the day? Yeah but it was much more fun to have the enemy do it. So no matter what the enemy does in your life, if you walk in fullness and you walk in victory, even his attempts are gonna turn to bless you. His attempts to destroy you are gonna turn into blessings. He comes at you one way, he's gonna flee seven. He's no match for the believer who walks in the fullness of Christ. So you see how important it is that we understand the gift of salvation because this is entry level stuff here. Romans chapter six and verse three says, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father, so we too might walk in newness of life. The killing of the old man is a gift. A lot of times we think that dying to self is something that we have to do. Dying to self isn't something that we have to do. Dying to self is a consequence of what Jesus did. 
It's a gift. God is not dealing with the old man. Jesus came to make all things new. And Jesus says, there's an old covenant and there's a new covenant. You've heard it said, now I say. Jesus puts a totally different perspective on the things of God and the fullness of what we, his children, are supposed to experience. So since he kills off the old man, there's nothing to work on on this side of the cross. That man is dead. He's only working on us in regards to the new man on this side of the cross. So what happens is God traps sin and death in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ dies, the old man dies with him, and then we are raised up in the newness of Christ. So the new man within you is Christ within you, teaching you how to walk in his ways, teaching you how to be like him, teaching you how to conquer like him, teaching you how to heal like him, teaching you how to walk in victory like him, teaching you how to have abundance like him. He has a totally different economy. He has a totally different way of doing things. All things are made new when it comes to Jesus. I was listening to a cool sermon two days ago where it talks about if, you know, if Jesus needed money, he went fishing. You know, if he was hungry, he'd invite a thousand people out in, the, out in the desert, a couple thousand people, and then multiply loaves and fishes to feed all those people. There's a totally different way that Jesus does things. I wanna live in that. I wanna walk in that. So God is not dealing with the old man. The old man's dead. So when it's not something we do, it's our reality. It's a consequence of the finished work of the cross. So we move from the condition of sin to the position of righteousness. That old condition, that sin nature is completely removed. It's gone, it's dead, it's in the grave. So why do we constantly resuscitate the corpse and drag him around? There's no fixing the old man, that guy's dead. We are raised in newness of life. We are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And here's the deal we should be too busy living in the fullness and in the righteousness of God to even think about fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Keep focusing on the flesh, keep focusing on the sin that you're trying to avoid, and you're gonna empower it to take you over. Focus on who you are in Christ, the victory that he purchased for you, and you're gonna empower that new nature, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So in the kingdom, all things are made new. So you can picture there's a divine dialogue between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Father's disclosing things about you to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's coming to teach you about those things, and then Jesus is helping you walk in them. So there's a divine dialogue going on about you. How precious are you to the Godhead? That's just fascinating to me. And this is how we learn who we really are. Because all things come from the Father, through Jesus Christ, and to the Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the perfect community. They love talking about each other. All Jesus did was come talking about how good the Father was. Then he's talking about how good the Holy Spirit is and how he's gonna show us new things. And the Holy Spirit comes and testifies about how good the Father is. And the Father speaks to us about how beloved his Son is. So they're always talking good about each other and they're just having a good old time at it and we get to participate in that divine community. So in every situation, we should be asking, God, how do you wanna make things new? To what level of fullness do you want to expose me? 
Second Peter, verse one, uh, chapter one, verse three, says his divine power has given us everything we need for a life, for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises that through them you might participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This is kingdom living. All right, God has given us his great and precious promises. And if we don't read his word, we don't know what they are. But here's the thing, in every situation where a negative thing comes, that's a signal to us. It should send off a flare to say, okay, God, what is it that you wanna show me about how awesome you are in this situation? What do you wanna be for me right now that you couldn't be for me otherwise? What do you wanna show me that's new about who I am and what you wanna be for me in this? So what happens is we get these radical permissions. We start focusing on the new. We start focusing on the good. We start focusing on how awesome our God is instead of the problem. Galatians 3.27 says, for all of you who are baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Listen, our lives have been immersed in the character and nature of Jesus Christ. And because of this, as he is, so are we in this world. We are completely dunked in Jesus. If we were ribs, we'd be slathered in barbecue sauce. We are totally just immersed and overwhelmed and overtaken by Jesus Christ. We have radical permissions in the kingdom of God. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus makes all things new. So in the kingdom, frustrating, inconvenient problems become exciting, life-changing possibilities. Here's another story from our small group. I'm gonna do a plug for small groups later, but small groups are great. Here's another great story from our small group, and it definitely involves a kid. So we're having small group a couple weeks back, and uh, Gavin, his parents aren't there because his, his younger sister is sick. So Gavin and all the boys are playing in the backyard, and they're playing football with no pads or anything. So Gavin gets hit, and his jaw gets hurt really bad, so he's laying in the backyard crying. We're in the middle of our study. We're in the middle of deep study, talking about the things of God, people are being vulnerable, it's great. And this has to interrupt our time. It's a problem, right? It's an inconvenient, frustrating problem. We told the kids they shouldn't be playing football and they're playing football, now kids hurt, okay? But here's the thing, you gotta see the exciting, life-changing possibility in it. So I run outside and Gavin's laid out on his back and he can't open his jaw and he's just in pain. The tears are flowing. All the other kids are like, <gasps> so I just lean down and I'm aware and I'm sensitive. God, what do you want to make new in this situation? What do you want to do? And God tells me to tell Gavin to say, thank you. And he'll be healed. So I lay my hand on Gavin's chest and I say, Gavin, say thank you. And you're going to be healed. And he's, thank you. He opens his eyes and he pops back up and next thing you know, they're all playing. Later on that night, here's where, here's where it gets interesting because problems are temporary. But when God shows us how he makes all things new, the possibilities are eternal. 
So what happens is later on that night, um, I give Gavin some anointing oil and I teach him how to go home and pray for his sister. So he goes home and his little sister, her name's Michaela, so she's sick. So he prays for her and you know, we find out at Sunday at church that um, you know, from the conversation that mom overheard, mom told us that they're downstairs and she can hear them praying and you know, Michaela's laughing and Gavin says, don't laugh, this is serious, it won't work. You know, this is serious business. So little Michaela comes and finds us Sunday at church and she's like, hey, I'm, I'm healed and it's serious. You know, so we're, we're literally attempting to raise up these kids to walk in the fullness of God in a way that just blows people's minds. Do you understand that there are unlimited possibilities in the kingdom? We are so shut off and limited by our own thinking, thinking that we have to do everything, thinking that God may just not be that good, but God is good. And I would dare to say our biggest problem, the biggest problem that we all face is learning how to live from a place of fullness. Say that again. Our biggest problem is learning how to live from a place of fullness. God's love for us is radical. He does nothing rational. Every story that you read in the Bible, God always takes away the leverage of those he's interacting with so that way his glory and majesty can be that more evident in a situation. God wants to overcome in your life far more than you're able to realize it. He's looking for every possible opportunity, every minute of the day to show himself strong on your behalf. He's watching his word, waiting to perform it. So what does that look like? Can you imagine that? What it looks like to walk in the fullness of God? It's time for us to realize that God is hosting us in fullness. All right, he's showing us the kingdom. And we shouldn't be like, oh, this is a nice house that you have, Lord. We should be like, holy cow, this is mine. Lord, what you're showing me, this is, this is for me? Absolutely. It's time for us to realize the abundance of in Christ and allow God to show us who we really are. John chapter six, verse 35 Another one of my favorite verses. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. We gotta make a choice. Are we prepared to walk in fullness? Or do we wanna just stay in the safety confines of blaming things on God and thinking that God's withholding things from us or God's not answering our prayers? or maybe we're not worthy enough to receive God's promises. Are we prepared to walk in fullness in a radical way that not only gets the attention of heaven, but gets the attention of a lost and dying world who are just looking for something to grasp onto? Because they're hungry and they're thirsty. But the children of God, being hungry and thirsty were never things that the children of God were meant to display. God created us to be full. He created us to be overflowing. So what does that look like? And for each of you, that's gonna look different. But I'm asking you and I'm begging you tonight to begin to start making that decision. Are we ready to step out of the realm of impossibility? 
and step into the reality where all things are possible? Do we understand the space that God has made available to us? Listen, we're responding to God's initiative. Okay, God's made all the steps towards us. He's made all the aggressive action towards us. He defines that which he's placed within us. He calls out which he's placed within us, out, out of us, and helps us work it out, helps us understand who we are. And the old way of thinking is that I do something and God responds. And I see this agenda in the church culture and it's legalistic that there's something that we have to do to experience the fullness of God. Listen, the gospel is all about what Jesus did, not what we do. Remember, he lavishes us in his grace. He has poured out his richness in grace. He abounds towards us in grace. He is aggressively and passionately pursuing us. We don't have time to be desperate for God. If we are consumed with delighting ourselves in the richness of his glory, he has called us to the table. He says, taste and see that I am good. And the children of God are to be such illustrations of light in a dark world. And in Jesus, in Christ, God is teaching us through the finished work of the cross to walk in such a way where we are just overflowing into a world that so desperately needs God. Imagine how determined the Father is about you. Imagine how passionate he is about you. The father is so intentional with everything that he does as he aggresses towards you. Live as if you're a co-heir of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that God has withheld from us. Now imagine the radical possibilities that we have together as the body of Christ to change our world. So we talked about being baptized into Christ. I wanna talk real briefly about being baptized into the body and the magnificent things that we can do together for his kingdom. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, our bodies have many parts, but the many parts make up only one body when they, are, when they are all put together. So it is with the body of Christ. Each of us is part of the one body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves and some are free. But the Holy Spirit has fitted us all together in one body. We have been baptized into Christ's body by one spirit and we have all been given that same Holy Spirit. So we're not alone. Together, we are one body, the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter two, verse 19 says, now you are no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. See, we belong to Christ Jesus. We not only belong to Christ Jesus, we belong in God's family with every other believer. And here's what fellowship is. Here's the beauty of fellowship. Can you imagine the conversations if we would sit around, maybe a campfire, or just sit around a circle and talk about the infinite possibilities and just imagine and dream about the fullness of the kingdom and how that looks in each of our lives? 
and start to explore that together because it never ends. You never get complacent. You never get satisfied because God's always got more. There's always more revelation. There's always more of himself he's revealing. There's always more he wants to show us. See, in the kingdom, it's like a video game. You know, in video games, you up levels. In the kingdom, it's the same way. God is constantly introducing us and walking us to new levels of empowerment to experience the fullness of his kingdom. I urge you to level up. We belong together in unity of purpose. In Philemon, verse five and six, it says, behold, from the time that I heard of your faith, and the love you have towards our master, Yeshua, or Jesus, and towards all the set-apart believers that there may be fellowship of your faith, yielding fruits in works and in the knowledge of all the good things that you possess in Yeshua, or Jesus, the Messiah. Listen, we help each other realize what we have in Jesus. All the good and wonderful gifts. We help enlighten and encourage one another about what we already possess in Jesus. You know, I mentioned small groups earlier. I love sitting around with my small group. You know, I love the relationships that we have with one another. I love to see the kingdom working in each and every one of their hearts. I love the perspectives that they offer that I never even thought of. And together, we help each other discover the richness of his grace and the wonderful attributes of God's glory. Our conversations involve talking about his wonder and the potential of what God is gonna do in and through us next because at the end of the day, the goal is transformation. Pastor Wayne brought it up in this weekend's message how the Bible wasn't just given for our information and our inspiration, but the Bible was given so that way we can be transformed into his likeness. Ephesians chapter two, verse six through seven says, and he raised us up with Christ and gave us a seat with him in the heavens. He did this for those in Christ Jesus so that for all future time, he could show the very great riches of his grace by being kind to us in Christ Jesus. So what are we really doing here? We're learning to live from the perspective of God. We're learning to live in a new way. We're learning that God wants us to be aware every minute of the day, not as an obligation, because he wants to bless our socks off. He is constantly waiting to show us new gifts, new promises. You know, I, when we're wrapping presents for the kids for Christmas or even a birthday, I'm horrible at having to wait for them to open it because I'm so excited. I wanna see the enjoyment they have on their faces. And our father is no different. He's constantly ushering us into new levels of revelation as he reveals himself and the gifts he has for us for any given situation. So as we're walking through life, we're alert, we're active, because we know that God is so eager to show off. He can't help himself. The father is like a junkie when it comes to displaying his goodness. And he just wants to do it all the time. But he needs us to participate and partner with him. So here's the takeaway for tonight. I want you to imagine all the situations in your life right now. Maybe you've been praying for something for years. 
but maybe you've been praying for it incorrectly. Maybe you've been asking God for something that he's already given you. Maybe he's already given you radical permission to make bold declarations regarding the promise and to start claiming things in your life instead of asking him for them. What Jesus did when he prayed, I love Jesus' model. He thanked God. He thanked God that he already possessed what he was praying for because he did. So I want you to imagine all the situations in your life that you need Jesus to make all things new. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a relationship with parents or a relationship with children or a sibling or just a good friend. Maybe you need Jesus to make all things new in the area where you think you have addictions. And here's the thing about addictions and sin. That sin nature is dead. Now there are habits which can be broken, which is the good news. But just think about what areas of your life that you need Jesus to make all things new. And I want you to grasp that in your heart tonight, that God absolutely wants you to experience the desire of your heart and the fullness of his kingdom regarding your situation. And he wants you to rise up with a stance of victory because he knows that you stand in victory. He's placed you in Jesus. He's placed you in heavenly realms. He's placed you with every spiritual blessing. He's given you everything. You are complete. You are perfect. You lack nothing. You are worthy. You are deserving because God said it. And because God said it, you need to proclaim it. Seize these things in these areas of your life where you need to make all things new. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for hosting us in your presence, for walking us through the rich spaces of the kingdom and showing us this big country, this big space. Thank you for taking down all the walls and all the obstacles and everything and every hindrance that would keep us from seeing the fullness of your glory and your goodness. God, we lay these things down at your feet. We thank you that you make all things new. So we lay these situations, we lay our knees down at your feet because you've satisfied us with your full bounty. You've satisfied us with all the goodness of your presence. You've satisfied us with the full power of heaven to change our problems into exciting and extraordinary possibilities. Thank you for that, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you tonight who have never tasted what it means to be a child of God, I'm here to tell you that it's awesome. You're gonna have an opportunity to join the family tonight. If you're a non-believer and you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart to make you new, to show you his kingdom, to show you who you are, get ready. I'm gonna count to three. You're gonna lift your hand and everything's gonna change. 
one. You're saying, I repent. I wanna see things in a brand new way. I wanna see things from a different perspective. I'm done with this old life. I'm done with these old ways. I'm ready to embrace the new. I'm ready to trade all my problems in for exciting possibilities. Two, you're saying, Jesus, I need a Lord. I need a savior. I need to be rescued. I need to taste the goodness of the Father. I need that affirmation. I need that love and I'm ready to be satisfied. Three, lift your hand up. If that's you, lift your hand. Thank you back there. Fantastic. Okay, would everyone stand, please? We're gonna pray this prayer together. For those of you who lifted your hands, I want you to pray this prayer from your heart. Father God, thank you for the gift of salvation. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe he was raised in newness of life. And because I confess him as Lord and Savior, I am raised in this newness of life. My life will never be the same. I am now a child of God raised in fullness, walking in the abundant life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.